Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Board Game Barbarians. Whoa! I am your host, Andrew, and with me, as always, is the Borbad. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am the bo blah 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 blah. <laughs> Ford game barbarian brother, Justin. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't know if you know about the uh, origins of the term barbarian. Yeah. Uh, but it was... Uh, it was a phrase that the Greeks used to refer to people from a certain island that when those people talked in their native tongue, it sounded like them saying bar, 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 bar. Like that's what it sounded like to the Greek, the, oh, bar, you know, to like them. The elephant. Not the elephant, no. Oh. And uh, you just sounded like what one of them probably sounded like to a Greek. <laughs> so really we're historically accurate yeah. more than anything. I was, I was trying to, I was trying to lead you into that topic. Is, to <laughs> is that what it was? Give, give some context for the show. Yeah, definitely. Or just stumble of, over so many bar bar words. <laughs> board, <laughs> board game, board and barbarian. Let's yeah. Say that a there you go. Times fast, Justin. Are we keeping this? Is this? Are we keeping this? Is this sure? Why not? Okay. Yeah. We'll do it live. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping first, besides me butchering our, our own show name. Um, we're, we're still in quarantine, baby. Yeah. And it is, uh, it's just trying to keep our board game sanity. No one told me life was going to be this way. That you'd be st stuck in your house <laughs> like you already were. Yeah. But now you don't get to go play board games once a month. No. <laughs> I told myself I was like surely my wife and I will play board games not one not not even like hasn't even come up just been busy I've been Emily it's I... it's I've been more busy than when we are not in quarantine so that's yeah that's it's my weird problem. I don't like that no yeah <laughs> get less busy oh yeah okay yeah um I did you try locking a four-year-old I... in one building for a month and a half and see what happens why not lock her in one room this makes it worse. Just put a, a latch under the door where you slide food and. <laughs> that's Andrew. That's called a prison cell. Oh, is yeah. That's what you don't want to do. That, huh? Yeah, you get in trouble. Well, getting trubs. That's. I mean, <laughs> no one's gonna come to your house. <laughs> what are they, They'll never what are they find you. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, yeah. please, I want to watch Disney Plus. All right, fine, come out. I don't. I'm over it. <laughs> Five minutes or an hour, or however long it takes to watch a movie. I don't know. <laughs> and then back to the cell. There you go. Uh, we're having burgers tonight. Uh, I've made a little, uh, made some some nice mayonnaise, a nice aioli, and aioli I'm just, to go with it. Just get it out. Just get it all out. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, we we played a uh, DC deck builder. Yeah. Uh, twice since this whole thing has happened. Two Man, or three months ago. How do you? I, I, that's just that's a lot of time commitment to I know. individual games. <laughs> yep. This weekend, like I pulled out. Uh, I guess I'll talk about it a little bit. I, I already I got the Touch of Evil ten year anniversary edition, which is just a big box that comes with the game again. Um, but it also comes with like cool many uh, locations that you can put on the board yeah. and also enough space to fit all of the expansions. So I pulled out all the expansions that I have and the character packs 
and shoved them all in that box. And my wife was like, are we going to play that? And I looked at her and I was like, no. <laughs> and I just like closed the box, put it away. <laughs> I know it probably didn't, but I like to imagine you stared at her and slowly closed the box and it did that box <laughs> farting noise that they do sometimes, yep. you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um. I, yeah. I. 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 I thought you were like kickstarting it or something. You're like, ah, I got touch vehicle tenth anniversary, and then two days later, you're like, here it is. And my first thought was, <laughs> that's the fastest Kickstarter in the world. It's. I mean, so the only reason I bought it is because they announced it like a year and a half to two years ago. Yeah. And a uh, friend of the show, Chris, like whenever, because I used to go to his house and we play the Touch of Evil, and that's where I like I fell in love with the game because he had it. Um, and he was like, hey, they're coming out with the 10th anniversary edition. And I was like, oh, man. He was like, it's probably going to be in a couple months. That was two years ago. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, can't wait. I'll save up my money. So I've been just like holding on. Saving to up that money. Bucks. <laughs> like, so I just walked in there like whenever he was like, hey, it's out now. And, it was, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was 100 bucks, and it's just the Touch of Evil base game and those extra minis. So it's a base game. Uh, it comes with little uh, bust locations of all, all oh, okay. of the, all of the. You know how you have the town elders. Well, that's dumb that they came busted already. There's little busts. Yeah, you get all it. busty. Uh, little busty men and women uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that sit on their cards. You've got the really cool locations. Yep. Uh, the dice is nicer, but who cares? Oh about boy. That? I'm not gonna um, lie. Uh, the root Kickstarter I did came with nice, nicer dice, and I was like, "Oh yeah!" Like I was yeah. real pumped on the dice. Well, I didn't even know the dice was gonna come. And I opened it, and I was like, "Ah, oh, sweet! They're just—it's just like they just have a pattern like or something." Pur- purple and green dice instead of the <laughs> yeah. standard little tiny white dice. Like, yeah, that's and I basically the same like, for root. Yeah. Super kick ass. <laughs> Those were gold and black. And now every time I play it, I won't use the white dice. I'm like, "You're the guest. You can use the white dice." <laughs> <laughs> I keep like, the nice ones. But uh, no, it came with that. The The manual has, like the manual that it comes with, so it doesn't come with all the expansions, but the manual comes with all of the manuals in it. Mm-hmm. So the base game, the two expansions, and I think it has the character packs all in one manual, which is nice. Yeah. Well, that's um, not, I mean, $100 just feels kind of steep for it, but I guess it's not, it's not horrible. And they're, they're a pretty yeah. small, small printing company, aren't they? Flying, it's Flying Frog, right? Yeah, that's not. They're not that small of a printing. They do uh, okay, shadows of brimstone and. Oh yeah, no, that's that's pretty big. Okay, well, that's... um, so I mean, they can do. They were a small printing company whenever they first made. Yeah, because that was the only game. Um, and also has a headless horseman mini. Nice. Um, does the head the, come separate or is it like a bonus? There's no head. Yeah, no, okay. it's broken off. I I looked everywhere it's inside. Ridiculous. There. I couldn't find. Sent him an angry email. <laughs> Where's my head? Um, <laughs> and then the uh the the two little like so the the damage cardboard tokens, cutouts that they yeah. had tokens uh, are pl- all plastic and then mm-hmm. the little the blue uh, investigation tokens are all plastic also nice and they're really really nice and like the, a, the, like like a acrylic kind of thing or um maybe like kind of see through no so they're okay. they're pretty like rubbery but they okay. also like they they look like stamps like they're actually the way oh, that they're themed okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. on the cardboard, they actually made them that shape, which was really nice. So I, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it's worth it. It also came with all of the online stuff, which was not previously. <clears throat> it was all print and play. Oh gosh, I can't stand that. Yeah, that's nice. So uh, they they printed out actual cards for like. So now I have Krampus. There's a Nutcracker bad guy and a couple others. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's cool. nice. I've done nothing. If you're waiting now that for I've me, gushed about that. Um, I also <laughs> played uh, one other thing I did this week is I the Pulp Invasion Kickstarter started, which uh, Pulp Invasion is the next game um, from the uh, uh, God Todd Sanders, who did uh, sure Pulp, Dete- Pulp Detective. Yeah, I'll find out um, why you. And uh, so it's his next game, which is a completely different game from Pulp Detective, but themed the same way, only it's science fiction. Like It is know, Todd Sanders, you're correct. Yeah, so it's like Pulp uh, pulp Magazine, science fiction magazines um, from like the, the 20s and 30s. Yeah. And uh, the game is already on Tabletopia, so it is available to play now. And I did, I played one game and then I reloaded it to make sure that it actually loads because it's it does the thing tabletopia does where it already sets the game up for you mm-hmm. which is nice but also like really hard if you're this. trying to learn it yeah yeah so i did reset it and it did give me a different uh captain because there's no way to pull a different captain you just get whatever whatever it gives you yeah um so it does it does look like it's the full game it just only has the the one player the single player rules um and that game is a much much more fun game than uh pulp detective like i'm almost disappointed <laughs> like, like what what's the basic <laughs> what what basic gameplay mechanic are we looking at here is, is it because the other one was like a like a card kind of push your luck dice game sort of thing so i mean like the other one was more of just like a like there's a bit of a push your luck mechanic but it was more of a like complete luck mechanic like yeah you you're lucky which card you get you're and then you're lucky what dice you roll and then if you yeah. fail you, there's a way you can get a piece and try to make it better the next time, but you're still relying on the cards and the rolling of the dice. Yeah. Um, this one, there's no dice roll. There is a dice roll mechanic, but it only comes into play for, uh, you have like captain's dice and the dice. Each side has an ability that your captain can use. Yeah. And whenever you use it, that dice rolls <clears throat> down to the next side. And then that you have another ability and your abilities get worse as the dice goes down, but it starts off good. Yeah, the um, board game geek has listed pushy luck, dice rolling, and uh, deck bag and or pool building, which is for for pulp invasion. So, so what it is is in pulp invasion, you've got um, easy mode is is for uh, you're looking for weapons basically. So you're looking for alien weapons on alien planets, and when you <clears> find all four weapons, you succeed and you save the universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get those weapons by searching planets, um, encountering cards allows you to search planets and then you pull out of a, out of a cube bag Yeah, and you have to pull like a yellow cube to find the, um, to find the, the weapon. And I failed at the very beginning because I did not put enough yellow cubes in. Mm-hmm. So I, I only, I'm supposed to have four and I only had two. <laughs> So for the first like three fourths of the game, I'm like, man, this is really hard. Yeah. And then I was, I lost because of that, but I was still like, I still had fun figuring it out and doing it. And like, it seems like something that if it's like a rainy afternoon and I've got nothing else to do anyway, I'm like, yeah, I'll put on like a TV show and play this game. Like, yeah, uh, it was a lot, a lot more fun and felt like I had way more control over what I was doing than Pulp Detective. So well, good. if you want a Kickstarter, it's only like 40 bucks to get both the first game and the expansion. $40? I know. It's so expensive. I'm just wanting to sound outraged. 
<laughs> Hold your hat, son. It's a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, what you been doing? Again, just nothing. No, no, absolutely nothing board game related whatsoever. This um, just says send help. It does say send help. I did put please send help. Um, no, I've I've been getting kind of into the the Magic Gathering mood for whatever reason. Springtime makes me like a nice spring day sitting outside in the hammock. Just makes me really want to play Magic the Gathering. I don't know why. Sipping some lemonade and iced tea at the same time. One each cup. <laughs> uh, that's I mean you'd mix them. It's a Arnold Palmer. It's a drink. Oh, it's okay. a thing. It's, it's fancy it's now. <laughs> uh, so no, I I've I've really uh it's just been all video games i've been doing lots of strategy video games lately kind of filling that board game void you know yeah um like xcom shadow to, tactics battle tech like lots of that so we need to do another game night because we both got uh shogun 2 mm-hmm. shogun total war 2 yup two, two, total war shogun total total shogun, shogun war, war 2 total that's two. Uh, colon the shogun uh, but we didn't play that anymore. What what have we we've been playing? Here's the Might and Magic. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah. Which I honestly, um, it feels kind of board gamey, you know. Yeah. Uh, in in like a, uh, I don't even know. I was gonna say like a Journeys in Middle Earth kind of way. Uh, it feels it feels really samey every time I play it, but it's always enjoyable because it's just you and me like shooting the shit the entire time. So yeah, basically, I think that's that's what I like about it. We I do, do another. <laughs> board game day i've never identified with another human more than we were playing heroes of might and magic 3 and we cranked it up to normal difficulty we were like let's <laughs> let's go crazy right we've been we've been wiping the floor fools. with these with, with, with these dumb bots and we crank it up to normal and you lost in like literally five turns yeah and then we we're at the game over screen and you just i said do you want to put it back down on easy and you didn't say yes you just quietly went, I just want to feel powerful. <laughs> and I was like, me too, buddy. And then we cranked it down on easy. <laughs> I want to feel super smart and powerful. <laughs> and we did, and it was a good time. It's all yeah, that matters. We we win like within like a week yeah, or two. It's, yeah, usually like a, a week and a half time. in, we're, we're like, yeah. We're like, oh, we're, we're basically going to win this, aren't we? Yeah, I think that's why we tried to do normal. Is there like a mode in between easy and normal? I don't know. Easy is like they literally just stand there and they're like, I don't know. And then normal, it's it's like Alexander the Great coming up over the mountains <laughs> every time you play. You're like, ah, oh, what are they? Where are they all these guys? I just imagine if we played like hard, they would just rush us first turn and annihilate. Like they've got like a million guys already. <laughs> uh, hard has just got to be they just nuke your castle somehow. <laughs> they develop the technology in one turn. Yeah, Gandhi shows up just, from uh, <laughs> from civilization, civilization, yeah, and just nukes just, your castle. <laughs> <laughs> no um, remorse. But yeah, we need to we need to do some of that again for sure. Uh, well, let's get into news. So uh, Frosthaven was funded. I'm shocked. Of course it is. I'm Why so very shocked it that it was funded. Um, I, I want it so bad, and I cannot justify getting it whatsoever. I almost, I almost <laughs> got it several times. I bought Gloomhaven. I've played it four times, and <laughs> and spent so much money but on it. It's got snow. I know, and I really like now, snow a lot. You gotta have snow. You gotta feel cold, man. God, I cannot even imagine buying another board game box as big as Gloomhaven and going, "Yeah, this is sane. This is what normal 
normal, sane human beings do, and then stacking them on top of each other and then living in them. Like, I can't even imagine. I just I just wish you'd got it, and then your wife looks at it, and she goes, what's the difference between the two? And you're like, snow! <laughs> it's got snow! No, no, honey, no, it's not a difference. It's not a new game. It's exactly the same as this old game. Just it's got a, but it's got snow, okay. And possibly, possibly like Viking themes. So we had to, we had to get it right. Couldn't you just paint snow on the old one? No, doesn't count. I can't paint. Doesn't count. I just don't know doesn't. How. I uh yeah that game I almost uh I'm pretty sure if they had had stretch goals I would have I would have uh I would have done it because I'm a sucker. Um I yeah. really almost got what was the Egyptian game from uh. That one developer that I yes, I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, never mind then. I, can't, I, I don't know. <laughs> the only Egyptian game it. I can think of is Comet. Oh, okay, that's, uh, it. that's all. There's an interesting story-based Peter Pan board game that's on Kickstarter right now that I've been looking at, and uh, but I'm not gonna get because mm-hmm. it looks it looks like like they're trying to show you like hey it's it's a card-based story thing. Um, that's somewhat similar to Tales of Arabian Nights. Only there's no huge booklet. Yeah, and uh, and it's like uh, you get you get to make choices. So there's a game like there's a replayability. Yeah, but it doesn't look like there's like a whole lot of replayability for the same character. Like Peter Pan is in like um like the bottom tier of like mythoses that I care to explore. Like it's way it's way down there for me. I mean, I'm my, not like oh man, Peter Pan, what a rich. My wife <laughs> likes it a lot, so I was kind of seeing like if she wanted it, and she was like, "I don't really play board games unless it's with you." Yeah, and I was like, "Yes, like, do you want this game to play with me?" Like, and she was like, "I don't really know anything about it." And I sent her a video, and she was like, "I'm not gonna watch that." And I was like, "Then we're just not gonna get it." That's fine. Like, you, you're just like, I just, I want to be excited, but I can't be, so I need you to be excited to excuse me purchasing it. Is that what you were getting at there? Is that what was kind of? <laughs> Kind of. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Cause it. Uh. I mean, they keep saying it's gonna come to retail. It's just the Kickstarter comes with like minis and stuff. So, Andrew, I swear to God, you do not need more miniatures in your. Home. Neither one of us. If neither one of us bought another tiny person for the rest of our <laughs> lives, we would be fine forever. Okay. I'm just saying. I just saying. <laughs> uh, Talisman Star Wars was announced, but oh no release date because. They don't do that. Um, so you can't wait. I know that. I'm just uh, so. First of all, I know it's going to be like the sequel trilogy, Star Wars, which is cool, and I like the sequel trilogy. Nope, it's everything according to the because uh, they've got the box art. Uh huh. And it's got like <laughs> on the left side is like all all the Jedi's from Episode One, and on the right side is all the Jedi's from uh, the. Did you just forget every other Star Wars movie? From the other movies. (laughs) There's nine of them, and you just said episode one, and then you're like, I don't know. (laughs) From the best movie, episode one on the left. The best part is you said episode one, so in your head, you know that you could just numerically say, like, episode number, and it would be right. Well, the worst part is is I committed to episode one, and I I meant the prequels. Like, all the Jedis (laughs) from the prequels is what I meant, but I said episode one. And so I committed I to mean, it. The episode one is the is the prequel. But I mean all three prequels. Like it's just okay. old. Like all had Mace Windu and I, stuff like that. I just don't care. I just yeah. I just so don't care. Like I'm over it. I uh, I bought fully painted 
bought expansions for enslaved talisman. I'm done with talisman forever. I have enough talisman for as long as I'm going to live. Oh, I'm good. I'm good for, let's see, 31. I'm good for an average of 50 more years on talisman. I'm set. Uh, I realized uh, today, because I was going through my Humble Bundle stuff, that I had a bunch of uh, games that I had not, like board games that I hadn't redeemed on Steam. Yeah. Um, so I just re-steamed, re-steamed. I re-steamed, which is the new term. Can we, yeah, can we please call Steam. redeeming a game on Steam as re-steaming a game? I re-steamed it. Um, <laughs> I, I redeemed a uh, copy of Talisman and two expansions. Nice. And then a bunch of Warhammer games that I'll never play. Oh, uh, which ones? <laughs> all of them. It's not all it was, of them. There's too many. It was the Warhammer bundle from Humble Bundle. The with uh, Dawn of War? Yeah, it was Do- it was the Dawn of War bundle. Oh man, Dawn so of War is good. Came with all the Dawn of War stuff and the Marine. You're gonna, the, you're gonna install it and you're gonna play it with me and we're gonna play the Imperial Guard. And we're gonna make friends. And we're just gonna build big machine guns and watch the bad guys run into them. <laughs> it's real fun. He says, throw himself in the wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> These goddamn college kids keep <laughs> killing themselves all over my property. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and unless you have any news. Nope. We'll get into the topic at hand, which is it has been requested by multiple people. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I guess you could probably say like it's a it's a, a brief overview of D and D would probably be a more accurate, a somewhat title. brief overview. Of I don't even know that I'd say somewhat brief. Just Dungeons as like as Dragons. brief as you could get and still feel like you're actually covering any of it. Yeah, there's information about it in here. So we wanted to do kind of like a little bit of history and kind of what the game is and then our history with it. And then I believe in the in the future, we'll probably go into some some in more in-depth topics about yeah. different systems. I get really interested in the design and the history and the companies and people involved. Like I'm, I'm really into D&D like as a product line in addition to as a game. We could do whole episodes just on like... TSR falling apart and all kinds of stuff. So it's it's not out of the out of the question, I don't think. We could just that's what we're gonna do every day now. Just a Got it. episode on D and D. Um I D&D did want quarantine days. <laughs> I did want to start with a a quick description of what a tabletop role playing game is. Uh because I think maybe the, the biggest question I get from people is when I say, Oh, I play D and D is they're they're like, What is it? And I'm like, Well it's a it's a tabletop role-playing game you play the role of a character at the table and they go yeah but like what do you do Do and roll dice (laughs) and then i go well you just play a character and they're like yeah but what do i do and they just keep saying what do i do for about the first year that they play the game and then they figure it out they kind of get it maybe um so dungeons and dragons and tabletop role-playing this applies to all tabletop role-playing games this is a generic description it is uh, a collaborative storytelling game in which one player is the judge or the game master or dungeon master or storyteller or whatever the judge person role is called in your system of choice. Um, and then the players assume the roles of one or more characters within the story and describe their actions to the judge. The judge, in turn, describes the setting and plays the role of any non-player characters while also deciding the outcome of the player's actions, either using the formal written rules, which is why why tabletop games have big rule books, 
uh, or by making a case-by-case -case ruling if something is not covered in the rules, which is why you want a judge in this collaborative storytelling you know, endeavor. Um, the judge either creates the setting and story framework that you are playing through or uses pre-written, often purchased material and the various rule systems and supplements to both D&D and other game systems serve to add or change the formal rules to emphasize or understate portions of the storytelling experience. So basically what a D&D or any tabletop role-playing game looks like is you're all sitting around basically collaboratively telling a story. This is my character, Steve. Steve walks in the bar and he punches the barkeep in the face and demands a beer. And then the judge goes, all right, well, I'm the non-player character, which is the barkeep. I'm going to roll some dice to see how hard Steve punches the barkeep. And then I'm going to play the role of the barkeep, being offended that he has now been struck in the face. That's the basic gist of it is players say, I do blank. And then the judge or dungeon master in the D&D case goes okay blank happens back what do you do now yeah players are, are first person and the judge is third person well, i mean i don't know uh want to think you can go back story, and forth like yeah. writing a story yeah mm. um so that's i did i just wanted to cover that um uh so that people understand before we just sit here and talk about D, &D as a system you know and, and the history <laughs> of D, &D. it's just so you and some friends getting together playing some games and somebody's telling you what to do with the books i mean if you've ever done um like you could literally if you've ever done one of those like creative writing exercises where someone like says a tidbit of a story and then the next person is supposed to continue the story and it's it's basically that except there's one person sitting there with a rule book that says okay but hold on when that happens we need to introduce some random chance in the form of dice rolls or tables or whatever this system whatever your game you're playing introduces or that says that doesn't happen that, that can't happen in this story right right uh so it's it's pretty much uh, again it's collaborative storytelling with a referee that's that's what it is the referee or dungeon master or judge character is playing just as much as everyone else is it's just a different kind of game um so yeah that's that's basically it i hope that was very succinct and super easy to understand <laughs> uh we'll see we'll see if anybody has any questions again we do have yeah, a please write in you can, yeah you can come in and, and ask us anything about it um we do have an entire uh channel on tabletop role-playing games word um but yeah so tell us a little bit about the release info <laughs> Um, well, I, I do want to real quickly note before I get into the, the original D&D release um, that D&D is not the only tabletop RPG. It is a dramatically vast world of systems and games that cover every setting you could possibly imagine. Uh, and we are not going to cover every edition of D&D either. Uh, we're kind of hitting the high notes, the big stuff, because if, if we want to be really granular about it, then we probably aren't even technically covering half of the releases of the various versions and revisions of Dungeons and Dragons as it has existed in the last 40 years, 40 plus years. Right. But we're covering this because it's the one that most people recognize whenever they think of a tabletop role playing game. Um, and it's kind of the, for the most part, like the grandfather of 
Oh yeah, it's the gold standard of tabletop yeah. RPGs. It's 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 if to make a video game analogy, it's it's it is to tabletop RPGs what World of Warcraft is to MMORPGs. It's it's the one that someone on the street would be like, oh yeah, I heard about that. There was the commercial with with Mr. T. I remember that game. You know, you'd be like <laughs> just like D and D. People know this one. They've heard about this one. They they're aware of it, even if they don't really know much about it. Um, you couldn't really say the same about like Shadow Run or, or Cyberpunk or, or whatever else that you might be playing. Um, I mean, yeah. <coughs> excuse me. The original D&D box set released in 1974. Um, uh, uh, Tactical Studies Rules was the company formed with the intent to publish the game. Uh, and Tactical Studies Rules, TSR, would publish every edition of D&D until being bought by Wizards of the Coast. They were the sole owner of Dungeons and & Dragons, uh, and it was founded by Gary Gygax. Uh, uh, and originally, the rules were heavily based on the Chainmail Fantasy Miniatures War Game uh, rules, which were also created by Gary Gygax and Jeff Perrin. Uh, and the initial ideas behind D&D, because this was a group of guys that were into wargaming. This was in, in uh, you know, Lake Geneva area, and they were really big wargamers. And they started saying, hey, well, I like wargaming, but what if instead of doing this historically accurate stuff, we did fantasy stuff? So they did chainmail. They made chainmail to do that. <clears throat> uh, Gygax and, and uh, Jeff Perrin. And then they said, well, hey, what if you're playing a fantasy wargame, but you just play one character? And you have complete control over one character instead of pushing around a whole bunch of miniatures. Uh, and then, of course, the game itself, D&D, uh, was developed by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. And while they're, they, they're largely credited with the final product, there were a lot of people involved in playtesting and honing D&D basically since its inception. Um, because th this was a situation where these guys would get together and play games all the time. And so uh, Gary or Dave or whoever would show up with whatever newest version of D&D and say, hey, let's play this. And they would play test it and they would write letters back and forth. And so it was very much a collaborative effort between lots and lots and lots of people um, to get D&D kind of formed into a complete idea that became the first edition of D&D. &D. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it released in three volumes in a wooden box set. There were a thousand originally produced uh, the three volumes in the box were Men and Magic, Monsters and Treasure, and Underworld and Wilderness. Names all fitting with the Dungeons and Dragons theme. It was kind of a thematic thing. What do you think? Uh, what do you think those boxes go for now? Uh, you can. There were reprints. There have been multiple reprints. You can get them on DMs Guild for very cheap PDF copies. I think maybe even paper copies reprinted. Uh, original copies are not cheap. They're, they're you know you're gonna be looking at spending. <laughs> Several hundreds of dollars on those. And I will say, um, the original D&D &D set, um, OD&D, as in zero D&D, &D, uh, which is what it's normally referred to as, is not... <clears throat> it's not a game that most people are going to recognize by today's yeah. standards. Uh, I like, it's, it's very uh, much a revision of chainmail. I like how the uh, opposite kind of happened to us whenever they're playing the fantasy miniatures war game and they're like what about a single player version and that's like the opposite <laughs> that happened to us where you're like let's play song of blades and heroes which is a <laughs> fantasy miniatures war game it is it is interesting how they go <laughs> in and out i will say this um for these very this very early edition of D, &D 
it's it's honestly hard to parse the rules because a lot of it is written for war gamers. You know, these guys were such a small group of people that they weren't writing for the populace at large. They were saying, oh, you're a war gamer? You'll understand these rules for this new fantasy game that we made. You should play it. Right. Um, and a lot of the rules, when you filter them through the the lens of like 70s the 70s wargaming scene they make sense but when you read them now you're like that rule makes so little fucking sense i can't even believe that they did that like why would you do that that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard it makes no sense <laughs> um but yeah it's it's it is it's very dated it is available you can get it on dm's guild again for just a few bucks i mean if you're interested m- mess around with it it's 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 interesting historically but i don't know that i'd say it's a great game uh, yeah, it's per not se. necessarily fun to play. Right. It's it's very much a game that because these guys were all working on it collaboratively, they would take it and change it and do what they wanted to with it. It wasn't it, it was never under it, it wasn't understood that you would do it exactly like it said in the rule book and everything they say. And if it's not in the rule book, you wouldn't do it. These guys were just kind of playing around with it, you know. They 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 that's just how a lot of these kinds of games were back then is that they'd get it and they'd go, well, I'd basically junked all of that and kept this and moved in that. And I changed that around and they really just kind of tweak it and make rulings to their, to yeah. their personal likings. Very, very, an, uh, an, an era of tabletop role-playing game that is so different. So as to be potentially, uh, completely unfamiliar to the modern tabletop role-playing so game. Wild, wild West. Wild West. <laughs> Um, was yeah. that so? Was that the basic set? The the men and magic monsters and treasures in a room. No, that was that was the original D and D box set. The basic set was 1977. Um, so D and D steadily grew from its original incarnation, and the basic set was introduced as kind of a streamlining of the rapidly growing and difficult rule set that D and D had become. Because all these guys, the second they got it, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to write my own thing and write my own rules and write my own supplements. And I don't like your classes. I'm going to make my own. So suddenly it grew into this big giant thing where these guys were showing up and running dungeons at, at these, you know, war game tournaments and conventions and, and meeting places with each other. And it just kind of ballooned out into this like giant ad hoc game that all these people had created. So they wanted mm-hmm. to kind of make it a product again, you know, uh, uh, bring it back to. Just something that that the, they could sell, <laughs> right? They could, that they could sell exactly. Maybe something they could sell to you know normal humans. <laughs> um, this is where like the the rules I'm assuming deviated from. The, they feel a the lot war less wargamey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this box set included a rule book, a print cover of a print of the cover art, which was by Dave Sutherland, and it's very good art. Uh, it's it feel it feels very. 70s D&D. It's, it's really cool. Uh, included a bag of dice, which was still a rarity in those days. Um, the polyhedral dice that we all take for granted. Um, I believe they had to order the original sets from a learning company that used them to teach mathematics to children by using <laughs> to teach like statistics to kids by using multi-sided dice uh, in weird shapes. Yeah. Um, and even in the AD&D first edition manual, Gary recommends like, hey, if you don't have dice, which are hard to get, just get a bag and cut up a bunch of like cut up 20 pieces of paper and write one through 20 on them and put them in a bag and shake it up and draw one out to basically roll a D20. Um, yeah, yeah. It came with some dungeon geomorphs, which are basically a pre-made dungeon tiles that you can fit together and a monster and treasure assortment to sort of fill your dungeon. 
Um, because this was in the age where D&D was not a campaign. There wasn't a big story. It was, oh, welcome to the dungeon. You're at the entrance to the dungeon. You've you've arrived there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it just, it, it was about dungeon delving. That was the whole entire game. And they, 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 they weren't concerned with like, the campaign, you know, because these were war gamers. These are guys that were like, okay, one Saturday a month, we're going to play for 10 hours. And so they've just right. run dungeons. This is all just one shots. Yeah, uh, basically. I mean, obviously, I don't mean to say that there weren't people playing campaigns or doing inventive things there. Obviously, there were because it grew into that. But uh, it was immediately a good seller. Uh, there were up to a thousand copies a month at, at its best, uh, which is very good for basically a type of game that did not exist a few years prior. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we also have AD&D the same year in 1997. Yeah, well, um, at the end of 77, uh, AD&D had officially started, but all they had released was the monster manual. <laughs> so they got the basic set, and then they released a monster manual. And the monster manual was a big deal. It was a really good seller. Um, it, it was this, this big tome with all these monsters and art for almost every monster. Um, but the release of the player's handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide didn't come out until uh, 1978. Um, okay. So I so believe by the two. end of 78, all three books were out. But the, I, mean, I would the, say it's it's weird ahead. to come out with like the Monster Manual before the player's handbook, but I guess you could still use the Monster Manual for the basic set. Um, some games still do it this way. They release it in pieces, and the idea is that for a lot of DMs, they're throwing out half your rules anyway, you know? Yeah. And so these people would take this these AD&D stats for these monsters and just use them in their basic D&D campaign. But you also have to keep in mind, this was when AD&D included things like layer statistics, like what is the probability that you'll run into this thing into the wild? What kind of home does it live in, and what percentile chance is it that it is near its home or that it has children? This was very much a statistics game, a simulation game still. And now people look at it and would go, that's math, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and and uh, there's a lot of statistics in early D&D. Um, I, would ass- I don't know what he studied in college. I would assume Gary Gygax studied mathematics. I know he was, a, I think he was an underwriter for an insurance company when he was, when this was all going on. That sounds fun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but the the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide, uh, which gave player rules and dungeon master rules respectively, uh, also came out alongside pre-written tournament modules. So AD&D started off very strong. In one year, you got all three manuals you needed, a full version of the game in hardcover, and you had modules you could buy, so you didn't have to make your own. Uh, and AD&D first edition used to hit tables instead of uh, um, just rolling against armor classes like we're used to now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lots of statistics, a heavy reliance on randomness and hidden dice rolls, and it very, very much the intent of the game in the way that, I'm not going to say the way that Gary Gygax wanted you to play it, but maybe the way he imagined you would play it was very simulation-y. It was very much like you enter a room, let me roll a bunch of dice, the room is this big, the room is... Uh, this uh, this well lit. The room has this many monsters, you know, and so right. it was just basically Excel spreadsheets. The game, um, but it, it does work. <laughs> it, but it just creates a very different kind of game than the very narrative, hero driven type of tabletop RPG that we're used to today. 
Right. Uh, it was very much like this is a a a simulation that you are trying to survive. This is a survival game, not a I'm a level twelve uh, tiefling warlock. You know, flinging spells everywhere, whatever. You know, it, yeah. it was it was like, oh, I survived the dungeon. Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, I th- I think that's always like getting into AD and D second edition. Mm-hmm. Um, because you always talked about that whenever we, whenever you kind of first got me into to tabletop role playing games. Yeah. Um, and I think I've I've played it like maybe twice, and I ruined one of your games. <laughs> and you've never forgiven me for it. And you you bring it up more than I do. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> I I think I mean that was what kind of what you always went into is that you didn't you weren't super into the you know 3.5 in in Pathfinder uh being a superhero by the time you're like level 10. Well, I like think you, it was more that by the time you and I were playing, I had done so much of that and seen the pitfalls of that that I was just yeah. I was just kind of over it, you know. Um and, and also I had not I still wanted to be as as we talked about earlier I just, I just want to feel powerful just. Yeah, which is fine. I'm not saying it's <laughs> in, invalid or anything. Um AD&D second edition was 1989. Uh, and between first edition and second edition, Gary Gygax, the long the captain of the TSR ship, who I do want to, I, I know that when we talk D and D, you have to talk Gygax and you have to talk about him a lot, and he gets very celebrated in the D and D world, and he should be. Uh, but he also made a lot of kind of boneheaded business decisions and and stuff. Um, I, I don't want to make it sound like he was perfect. You know what I mean when we talk yeah. about him as the grandfather of D and D, which he is. Um, but, uh, he, he, he was removed. He was ousted from the company. Um, but before he left, he had already hinted at a second edition of AD&D and even hinted at like, Hey, we're going to have tons of future editions. This is our thing. We're going to release editions every few years and update everything. It's going to be a big thing. Um, but he didn't really get to see that through before he was, he was ousted from, uh, TSR. Um, David uh, uh, David Cook, also known as Zeb Cook, led the design for Second Edition. Um, it added uh, a, a term called FACO, which is an acronym. It stands for To Hit Armor Class Zero. So in AD&D First Edition, the way hitting a monster worked is you would say, all right, I'm a level two fighter, and I want to hit that goblin. And I'd go, okay. And you would roll your die, and you'd go, all right, I rolled a 12th. And then I would go, all right, so I would go to the level two fighter table and I would find the, you know, the goblin's armor class and I would go through the spreadsheet and look for the number you had to hit. Well, to hit armor class zero is basically shorthand for saying, hey, this is what you need to roll to hit zero. So you can calculate in the armor class and instead of looking it up in a table, you can do a quick numerical calculation in your head to determine what someone needs to roll on a die to hit a monster. Revolutionary. It's it's I wouldn't say it's much easier. It's a little easier. Um but it did it did serve to simplify the combat system. Um second edition also streamlined a lot of Gygax's more kind of flowery prose and rules. Gary Gygax wrote the first book like he was explaining the game to you. It's very prosaic. It's it's very much like him being like 
it feels like he's talking to you. I really, honestly, yeah. if you're interested in D and D and history or any of that, really, just go read the first edition manuals because they don't read like a, a modern tabletop RPG manual. It reads like a guy explaining the game to you in like a casual conversation, and he huh. throws in tidbits and things that like are unnecessary to the rules. Which, when you read it, is interesting, but when you're trying to find the damn rules as a reference manual, is frustrating. <laughs> Because he's just um, talking about like a story with his friend Tom. Anyway, Tom and I were it, last week. It's and, not quite uh, that tangential, but it it, <laughs> it gets out there. Um, they streamlined a lot of his kind of flowery prose, and it it second edition was very much a hotbed of new systems and settings. It had birthright. It had it had Planescape. It had Spelljammer. It had um, just tons and tons and tons. It had Dark Sun. Tons of different settings. So in the tabletop RPG world, the idea is that we're telling a story and you would buy a book that was the setting. All right, this is the world. This is the calendar and the currency and the cities and the maps and everything. And you can make a story within this world. And it took a lot of the the heavy lifting out of what D&D had become, which was this thing where instead of going, you stand at the entrance of a multi-level dungeon. And then the game was over when you exited the dungeon. It was this yeah. thing where all of a sudden there were towns and there were governments and there there had to be a world, a functioning world with a name and a continent with a name and rivers and stuff with names. <laughs> I'm not good at the name part, if you can't tell. For the role playing. Yeah, I, um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a really bad habit of like making up a fantasy name and writing it down, but I never say it out loud till I'm playing the game. Uh, what was and the one you made? I, I named a character Anal. <laughs> and, it, and I don't know how he spelt it on the paper, but when I went to pronounce it, I realized that it was pronounced anal. And I was like, oh, but it was spelled all fantasy e, you know, it looked all cool. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, but, but TSR would dump out tons of second edition content. Um, and the cool thing about second edition is that it is close enough to first edition that it's still compatible with some really light conversion uh or if you don't want to convert just kind of fudging some things um it's it's largely still compatible with first edition it just adds a lot more content i mean the more you play dnd the more you learn that you can basically a, a fudge almost anything to work mm-hmm. with anything else that's true uh when you're when you start out you're really worried about making a fair game and stuff and then you realize that that's basically just bullshit um <laughs> so just do whatever it's <laughs> yeah i mean when you're starting definitely play by the rules uh you know and then start just making stuff up because learn them and do? then do what you want learn them and burn them that's that's, that's my D policy it's in the back of every D uh, book i learned the book and then i set it on fire uh, well, tell me about. I don't think I've ever. Uh, next in here, you got the rules cyclopedia. Oh yeah, the rules cyclopedia ninety one. Uh, this is really interesting. I like rules cyclopedia D anD D a whole lot. Nobody else has ever heard of it. Um, basically, I, yeah, uh, not as all of this AD anD D stuff has been going on for the last you know over over a decade. Um, basic D anD D is still going alongside it. We're not covering all the releases, but it was still going on, and it was becoming more and more bloated. And weird in its own right. So there were multiple basic D&D rules sets. There were the basic rules, the expert rules, the companion rules, and the master oh. rules. And then I think one more that's like legendary or epic rules or something. God. It, 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 yeah. So basically they came out with basic D&D and then they're like, well, we want to expand on this. And then it was no longer basic. 
It was just nuts. Um, but the basic D&D system was largely designed by Frank Mincer, and a lot of people will call this Mincer D&D when they're talking about uh, uh, basic D&D. Um, the rules cyclopedia compiled all of the Mincer D&D rules into one place, um, into one book, complete with monsters and DM information. So instead of having to have the player's uh, uh, rule book, the Dungeon Master's rule book, and the monster rule book, it was all in one big book, which I love. Uh, and it included a default setting, which was something still missing from D&D. There really wasn't a default. It, it was just like, hey, we have 700 settings. And to new players, it was intimidating where you look at this game and you're like, all right, well, we're going to play D&D. Well, which setting are you going to choose? I don't know what that means. Okay, well, you got to choose a setting. I don't know. Birthright? Oh, you don't want to do Birthright. It's too complicated. It's basically a war game. Okay, Dark Sun? <laughs> Dark Sun's really hard. You don't want to do that. Okay, I don't know. Spelljammer. Oh, Spelljammer's in space. You got weird ship rolls. You don't want to do that. It was just intimidating, right? New York. And Mistara, yeah, New York. <laughs> Mistara was a really cool setting. It was really interesting. Um, and it was it was built into Rule Cyclopedia D&D. And, and, and it was just its own kind of separate version of D&D that ran alongside it. It had really cool rules for for weapons and, and melee attacks. I like it a lot. If you've not Have heard of rules... It? Uh, yeah, I, I did play it briefly. Uh, the game fell apart pretty quickly because we were playing it in Discord. And I was basically like, hey, I want to learn how to run this. Would you guys be my guinea pigs? And they did. Uh, uh, very, very kind of them. They they sat through me running a thing. But I have the Rules Cyclopedia book. And I've got, there's this big book that's like five different modules for, for it all smushed together that all chained together. And I've got the additional creature catalog. I'm like, set, Rules Cyclopedia. If you ever want to do Rules Cyclopedia. <laughs> I'm your guy. Maybe we, maybe we can do it for the show. It's fun. We'll a rule cyclopedia one. It's a good time. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so in uh, so for here we got June 1997. Wizards of the Coast comes in and buys uh, TRS. TSR. TSR. TRS. TPS reports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wizards uh, 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 does come in and and buy uh, them. And uh, Peter Atkinson, the founder of Wizards of the Coast, had. Uh, approached them and t previously like hey we want to buy you and tsr was was quite it was a it was an angry no it was an it was a get bent kind of answer <laughs> and i i think because i was reading through art and arcana and i think what they specifically said was um peter atkinson came in and was like we'd like to purchase you you know and their response was not from you guys it was basically like Anyone anybody else, else not you um, and, and, but the idea was that Magic the Gathering at this time by 97 was hurting D&D's market share because for people that don't remember, um, Richard Garfield invented Magic the Gathering as something to play in between D&D &D games. You know, when you're sitting there waiting for your DM to set up and everybody to show up, you'd sit there and that's what he made the game for. It was his idea. And then it and, ruined D&D &D for life. For well, then else. people would sit there and play Magic and be like, actually, this is pretty good, and we don't have to spend four and five hours and hundreds of dollars on manuals and setting everything up and bringing all this we stuff. Just, we just have to spend thousands of dollars on Magic cards. Well, ba back then you weren't. No. <laughs> <laughs> A few years later, yeah, it did balloon into that. Um, but yeah, Wizards of the Coast did, did purchase them. Um, and then you had this weird... There's this weird short period between 97 and 2000 where Wizards of the Coast owns D&D, but they're releasing second edition stuff. Uh, yeah. And it's just strange. 
it, it was it's a it's a weird weird era for D anD. d um it's always they, weird like uh kind of looking at the timelines for obviously the original they didn't it, it was just a bunch of guys kind of making a game right and so of course it, it, they would come out like 10 years apart and then after wizard of the coast by it you know big company starts shoveling out games every <laughs> every yeah. like four years yeah, it's um, it, it it's it has it had gone through a, a weird evolution. Uh, um, second edition AD and D is very much the one that like um, it it was it was a it was from the ground up felt like a product made for a market. If that makes sense, it was very polished. Mm -hmm. It was very clean. It was it was built from the bottom up to interlock with all these other products that they want you to purchase. It was very uh well produced. Um, and v compared to even first edition AD and D, it was like it was night and day difference, you know, for for sure. Well, let's get into the somewhat broken third edition. Third edition uh, set in that came out in two thousand <clears throat> after Wizards of the Coast bought t TSR. Yes, yeah, so this is the first um, rule system made under the Wizards of the Coast banner, um, but again, was not their first D and D product. Uh, it was designed by Monty Cook, Jonathan Tweet, and Skip Williams. They invented the D20 system, which at the time was revolutionary in the D&D space because D&D had all these different systems. Um, and the D20 system, the idea is that it would unify them all under one die, the D20. So m most of the stuff in the game would be decided by rolling one D20. And they called which it the D20 this system. This is the thing that the reason why most people call D and D like the grandfather of most games because most tabletop games either use the D twenty system or the uh, D six system, right? Um, there, I don't know that I would even say most, but I would say a lot of the popular ones. I would phrase yeah, I, it that I guess way. Most uh, <laughs> there's so most many streamlined or uh, I can't even think of the word. Yeah, popular yeah. ones would be the best one. Yeah. Oh, and a lot of that is because of the open game license, which we don't really cover and honestly could be its own episode in its own right. But basically, Wizards took chunks of D&D &D and said, hey, other developers, you can use these chunks to make your own game. And you can use it to make your game compatible with D&D &D while not having to license the D&D &D name, which was big, really big. Because TSR and Gygax were like, no, 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 no. You got to pay us for that shit. You got to give us Especially some money. For big boy Wizard of the Coast, who is huge on kind of being a, a bully. Well, since the Hasbro buyout, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Peter Atkinson himself, uh, original Wizards of the Coast, he really does seem like a good guy. Um, and he seems like he tried to run the company right since the Hasbro buyout. Oh, yeah, all bets are yeah, off. I guess, they're, they're I guess just, that's more what I grew like, up with was the Hasbro buyout. Was yeah, Coast, so. they're like, we're a money factory now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Every year, 80 editions of Magic. But third edition combat was vastly improved and streamlined and included a lot of stuff from some of the later second edition manuals. Because, again, the, the, the way RPG systems work is you have your core rule books come out and then someone comes out with such and such manual. And everyone that plays it is like, oh, my God, you got to get that manual. It fixes so many things. And then now you got four books and then they go, OK, well, here's another manual. Oh, you got to get that manual because it fixes so much stuff and adds <laughs> so much content. And all of a sudden, by the time you're getting into the game, if it's an older tabletop RPG, everyone's like, oh, well. You got to buy these 10 books, um, basically, and memorize them all, and then you're good to go. 
which is which is to explain why there are all these revisions as the game gets big and big and big and bloated and then the company takes all the best parts of this big bloated thing it has become and streamlines it down and says bam new edition right yeah i mean i would say that happens until you get to like fourth fourth and <laughs> yeah fifth fourth edition. edition is is the break from that um th- third edition uh also removed basically almost all restrictions on character building uh, which was a big thing. This is very much the hero era of D&D. This is when D&D characters are like, we, they they want you to be a powerful hero and feel powerful. Uh, it also heavily implied that players should be playing on a grid and with, hopefully, Wizards of the Coast produced miniatures. They really wanted you to buy miniatures. And in the book, <laughs> the way they illustrated combat was on a grid. Um, miniatures. Yeah, with miniatures, because that's how they wanted you to play. And up until then, it was very much assumed that you were probably playing with some type of physical representation, but it wasn't necessarily built into the rule system the way that it was in third edition. Or, or necessary. Yeah, no, yeah, it is also to anybody getting into tabletop role playing games, most of them would like you to play with a physical representation, but you don't really particularly need it all I the mean, time. For for what uh, for like three to five years, I played a constant D and D game. Um, where we didn't have minis, we just had a whiteboard that we drew a yep. grid on and had our like initials on the grid, yep. and that's it. Which works fine. Yep. Uh, D&D 3.5 came out in 2003, a few years later. It was mostly content updates and balances and is still largely compatible with 3rd Edition. And to anybody that doesn't play 3rd Edition regularly, they probably wouldn't even notice what the differences are. It, it very much looked and felt the same except for some of these here rules over here that are different didn't definitely didn't fix bard <laughs> no they tried they just didn't do <laughs> they fixed them what they fixed i think they fixed grappling i don't yeah honestly 3.5 <laughs> i don't no even knows. remember what they fucking fixed because i remember this at our table because i played a ton of 3.5 yeah we had one guy that had the third edition book because everyone would want their own player's handbook you don't need it but everyone would want it and then so there'd be there'd be one guy at our table that had a third edition book and not one time was there ever a conflict. There was never an issue where like, <laughs> oh, hey, dude, no. Yeah, you're using, you're using third edition books. So that's why your thing says that never, never once did it even come up. And then what uh, kind of a, a side note, the, the true fourth edition for a lot of people that I knew, especially like the people I played with was Pathfinder. Like, yeah, Pathfinder basically. Put out by completely different game, not by no. It was put out by Paizo by a bunch of third edition D and D guys because they saw that Wizards of the Coast was like, "Hey, we're basically ditching this system for fourth edition," which we'll get into momentarily. But they were like, "Hey, we still like the D twenty system, the D and D third edition system. We want to make our own thing." And Pathfinder has become uh, huge, massive game. Uh, They've they've just released a second edition. Uh, they have a sci-fi version called Starfinder. Uh, very fun game. Tons and tons of content. Also, very affordable. I mean, the modules yeah. are cheap. The the it's 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 a game I that mean, you that can be had pretty cheap. It's what I played for years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think a lot of it is compatible with very little conversion with D and D three point five. Uh, I assume. Yeah. If if you if you really wanted to do that, you know. Now we'll get into my least favorite edition, which I think I've only played like two games of, and even then they lasted maybe a couple weeks. Like fourth edition, yeah, very disappointing so, edition. D and D fourth edition was two thousand eight. Um, up to this point, every edition of D and D 
had basically taken what they liked about the previous edition, streamlined what they could, and then anything that felt really disparate, they kind of crunched it down into into a unified system where possible. It very much felt like they had been building on previous editions up to now. Third edition was probably the biggest break coming from second edition to this point, but it still felt like kind of the logical next step. It wasn't too bewildering. And granted, it was made by a different company, different designer. It, it makes sense that it would feel kind of weird. Um, but fourth edition was just them saying, hey, you know that one we came out with eight years ago? <laughs> Fuck that. Just throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was yeah. it was Wizards it was... of the Coast's attempt to kind of video gamify D&D. Um, and a I lot mean, of you could tell because a lot of it was just like cards that you would play for, <laughs> yeah. um, like your abilities and your your magic, and it just kind of it felt it felt like they tried to mix in some sort of weird card game that didn't have a cost to play, but you also it's very bizarre. Know. They they tried it. This is an, a prime example of streamlining too much, um, because the beauty of tabletop role playing games is that. While you do work within a system of rules, you do still have a good amount of freedom. Um, yeah. In D&D 4th Edition, what it successfully did was removed all doubt. Everything was a card, a power, uh, something written down somewhere. So whenever new players come into D&D, what I notice is one of their biggest issues is they go, okay, well, well I'm a fighter. Uh, I'm a level one fighter and I'm, we're fighting goblins. What can I do? And I go, well, you can attack the goblins and they go, all right, I attack it. And then I go, oh, you missed. And then it attacks you. And then they go, okay, I attack it again. And then I go, well, okay, well, I mean, you missed again because this is second edition and you're level one. Um, and they attack you <laughs> and they miss. And then that goes yeah. on for like 30 minutes and then they get bored. Um, because to a new player, what they don't understand is that this is not a, this isn't a video game or anything. It's a collaborative right. story. So instead of saying I attack, what you could say is like, oh, you know, I uh 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 you know, I I duck around this doorway and I swing wildly in it so that I have cover for my attack or I grab the torch off the wall and I swing it at the goblin while I attack with my other hand. You know, there's whenever you, right. whenever a game says yeah, you can attack someone, there's a lot of freedom to do what you want to knock tables over to find cover to do backflips to do called shots all kinds of things that yeah. aren't apparent to new players and fourth edition fixes that by saying hey everything you can do is encompassed in this long list of powers that you have and every character and every character class has this list of a certain number of powers of three types powers you can use every day once a day powers you can use once per battle and powers you can use as much as you want and the downside is that once new players got acclimated to the system of these powers, instead of having different abilities and systems, they'd go, okay, well, can I kind of tweak him and do this such and such different? And the answer was, well, no, that, that will break it. The game is very much built around these powers being used by the book the way that they say that they're supposed to be used, and it's not going to work that way. Yeah. In short, it wasn't super great in I, I know most people went to Pathfinder or went back to, to 3.5 versus uh, playing, or went to different, completely different games at that point. I'd say fourth edition is good if you are trying to bring people brand new into tabletop RPGs because they would hit that and be like, I oh, mean, look at all these powers and stuff I can do in combat. And then when you switch them to fifth edition, they'll go, 
oh, well, I don't have as much stuff I can do. And then you go, no, 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 you can do all that same stuff, but you can do it in whatever combination or order or mixed up manner. You have those same abilities, but you get to control what they look like. You use your imagination (laughs) instead of the book's imagination. Yeah, so 4th edition was... um, I, I bought a lot of 4th edition manuals and played a lot of it. And I really wanted to like it so bad. I tried so hard because I was so sick of 3rd edition and Pathfinder didn't catch on with my group. And I loved how simple it was and how they really they really simplified so much of the game. They simplified. Basically, running a game was no longer a story anymore. It was just a series of skill challenges with outcomes. Uh, building encounters was no longer you trying to make a dramatic and interesting story out of a battle. It was you just filling everything with certain specific World of Warcraft style roles until it, it all, just, it, it just sounds it was, so boring in, in tabletop role-playing game parlance. It was, it was, it was like Legos. It was the Legos of D and D. It was, you don't really have to be creative. You just put these blocks together and they're going to build a wall no matter what. So you'll be fine. And I would I would say even then you don't really need to do fourth edition to get into like fifth edition. No, fifth edition absolutely not. Streamlined as it is, and I would say is probably like the the perfect edition of like what three was supposed mm-hmm. to be or what they probably wanted it to be because it yeah. is very streamlined, very easy to learn, and very easy to play. And we'll get we'll get into fifth edition. Came out in twenty fourteen. Jesus. <laughs> I feel like it went came out like two years ago. Yeah, it still feels uh, real new to me too. But yeah, um, fifth edition threw everything out from fourth edition, um, as fourth edition had done to third edition, um, and it it greatly simplified the game, but in a different kind of a way. Uh, in in many ways, it retains the freedom and openness of the AD and D systems, while removing the majority of the complexity. There are very few complex hard to understand systems in fifth edition uh it also introduced uh and this doesn't get enough credit it introduced what was called the advantage and disadvantage system um so previously in DD, if you were running a game you had to deal with what's called modifiers which is anytime someone goes okay i want to do a backflip and then your referee goes all right steve well you're going to need to make an acrobatics check for that backflip because it is an acrobatic maneuver and steve is trained in acrobatics and then steve rolls his die and then the dm goes well steve's also standing on ice in an avalanche while drunk so <laughs> he probably wouldn't be like his normal level of ability to do a backflip so I'm going to modify that role. I'm going to say, all right, Steve, you can do your backflip, but you're going to get a minus four because the of the ice and you're <laughs> drunk. Yeah, that is generous. <laughs> and then Steve would roll and subtract a four from his role. And that was fine, but coming up with modifiers, because there is a big list of modifiers in all of the different editions of D&D of like, these are all your modifiers. But yeah. nobody remembers the list. And to pause and look up the list for something as simple as Steve breaking his neck on some ice is a lot of effort. So what they did is they said, all right, advantage disadvantage system is instead of trying to numerically deduce how much you should increase or decrease a role, depending on the circumstances of the role, you can have advantage on a role, which means you roll it twice and pick the best one or disadvantage, meaning you roll it twice and keep the worst one. And it really is an amazing system because in previous editions, that DM, if they were playing by the book, honestly, they would have to go, all right, Steve, hold on. I got to look up, uh, let's see, ice 
uh, ice modifier would be this much, and then you're drunk. But what level of drunkenness are you? Okay, you had four beers. And what's your constitution level? Okay, let me let me run that through the number cruncher here. It's a lot. In fifth edition, you just go, well, you got disadvantage because you're a drunk moron and you're on ice. <laughs> and then Steve rolls and goes, no, and breaks his neck. Um, it really is a, a great system that reduces so much of the strain on the dungeon master. So much of DMing a game isn't knowing what to roll and when to roll it. It's knowing how to modify those roles given the circumstances because, you know, nothing's in a vacuum like it is when you read the module, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I do I do really feel like 5th edition has kind of brought about this golden age of D&D as far as mainstream popularity goes. Uh, it's It really is a good time to be playing D&D and a great system to be playing D&D. It's, it has garnered... Because D&D was definitely mainstream popular in the 80s, and for people that didn't live in America in the 80s, we also dealt with the satanic panic, which caused the uh, TSR to redo some of their cover materials. And they were targeted by a lot of groups because there was this fear in America of Satanism. Basically, right. we, we were if America was countrywide terrified of Satanists. There was very little evidence of any Satanists, <laughs> but they were very scared. Well, I mean, that you had all there the, was some comics. That's like, oh, well, we, that was a great game of D&D, everyone. Let's, now let's go worship Satan. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of <laughs> cautionary tales. Um, and, and so D&D had a lot of popularity then, but it wasn't, it didn't have a good reputation. It was a thing played by dorks and Satan worshipers. You know, or that was, or both. That was, that was pretty much it. Um, and I feel like D&D right now is enjoying the most positive mainstream success that it's, it's ever had thanks to 5th edition and, and how successful it's been. Well, let's go ahead and... Um, I mean, we, you and I have played, what, maybe two games of 5th edition? <laughs> oh, you mean like campaigns? Yeah. I was like, Andrew, we played way more than two games, but... We two, played <laughs> two hour games, two two hour games. Um, we did play, we played Tomb of Annihilation, which was about a year long campaign. Yeah. A uh, little over a year. And then uh, I know we've played many other just kind of small games since then. Fifth edition has really become my go-to system because I I like to tinker and not follow the rules and make stuff up. And in fifth edition, when you do that, it doesn't break anything else. In in a lot of earlier editions, if you made up the wrong thing or fudged the wrong thing, you would break some weird rules subsystem that existed within the game. Uh, fifth edition is very much just like we don't know. Just fucking do whatever you want. It's fine. Just you're good. <laughs> just don't break it. Oh, you it's can't. Just, All right. You know, it just doesn't. It just doesn't care. Yeah. All of the other editions are glass, and this one's plastic. There you go. Perfect analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, AD&D, I, don't I, I would say as far as making stuff up and not breaking anything, 5th edition is closest to AD&D 1st edition. Those are very similar in that regard. Um, but AD&D 1st edition is only similar in that regard because very few people actually played 1st edition by the rules anyway. Because it was usually based on statistics and bell curves and numbers and tables and charts. And they would just be like, I'm not going to open the book up. Just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Roll a beat a four. They would just make, <laughs> you know, and the book encourages that. Gary in the book encourages that. He's like, you don't know, just pick a number and tell him to beat that. And I don't know, you know, like it, it'll it, work. It was fine. It was all fine. 
Well, I uh, I think what we'll do is we'll go ahead and stop it there. We do have more to talk about, but I think we're going to make another episode out of it. Nah. Uh, okay, but, that's fine. But we did get through all of the additions that we set out to get through. Yeah, which again is not even half of them when you account for all revisions and basic <laughs> D&D. Yay. I mean, like Yay. These are yeah, the big ones. I mean, when you talk D&D, it's like you got basic D&D, the original, and then the five big numbered editions. You know, that's that's... Yeah. You know, so I, we, we got through it. I would say most people care about the most new people to it care about the new edition. And right. And we talk about the older editions just because it's interesting and, and the history yeah. is there. And that's well, kind of well, to show where it came from. We'll talk about it more episode. But if you're getting into D&D, play, just play fifth edition. Like unless you are like, I want to play in this group and they play blank. We'll play what they play. But if you're just like, I want to get into tabletop RPGs, where should I start? You should yeah. start with fifth edition, period. It, um, is, it is the best edition and the most accessible for the most part. Um, yeah. Though it is also getting kind of uh, manual bloated at this point. There's so many um, different. But there are you so. Could, you, could, uh, you could still obviously just get the manu- the player's game right. hi- handbook and the monster manual and the DM guide and be set. <laughs> um, but there's so much stuff coming out for it now. Yeah, I keep. I just want them to make Spelljammer again. That's all I want. Just give me a fifth edition Spelljammer, you <laughs> bastards. Have you emailed them every day like I told you to? Yeah. Well, Constantly. I built a computer that does nothing but email Wizards <laughs> of the Coast and ask them for things I want. From 80 different emails so they can't block me. <laughs> it creates a new email every day. And it emails them. I created. Times. I created a fully self-aware AI, and instead <laughs> of using it to improve the world, I taught it why we need more spell jammer. It agrees, and now will not stop pestering them. Its name is Gary Gygax. It's the it's the Terminator of spell Dig- jammer focused digital. AI systems. It's Gary spell jammer. <laughs> Hi, it's Gary spell jammer again. I just want to know if we can make another. You're gonna make it yet? That's all. That he just calls him every day and yells that. <laughs> He calls Peter Atkinson, who's long retired at home. He's like, you got to make it yet. And Peter goes, yep. please stop calling me. I'm so tired. Bleep, Larb, I'm a robot. Hang up. He says, hang up. He doesn't actually hang up. Great use of an old computer. Got to tell you. Just <laughs> great. Uh, well, thank everybody for listening. We will have another I will episode. thank them. Oh, do it. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Uh, we will have another episode. I'm, I'm thinking we're going to do it sooner than a month away. So this may be a uh, two episodes in a month kind of month. We'll see. Uh, okay. We'll that's, see a, if... that's not a commitment I knew I was making today. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> We'll see if Justin can, can clear his busy schedule. Uh, as we know, it is busier than usual. Um, Ever we'll so see. slightly, yes. We'll see if he can uh, spend some time to talk with you a little bit more about one of his favorite subjects of his entire life, which is Godzilla. Dungeons I mean, D and D. Uh, yeah. Godzilla D and D. Oh my God. Oh. Can we have a Godzilla D and D game? I was just thinking that. Yes, obviously we, we can. We've made a terrible mistake that we've never played this before. Yeah. I can make that happen. Yeah. You go to Rask. Someone did this. I listened to this in a podcast. They did Tarask and they did a big giant robot. It was adventure zone. They did that for their, uh, Lost Minds oh. of Fandelver campaign. I we was, do this. I was hoping you were gonna force me to just be a regular like Japanese person <laughs> in Tokyo as context. Yeah, so it's just the boring parts of the. Of okay, the Andrew, roll to scream! Oh my God, it's Godzilla, and get squished. 
Uh, no, uh, I have to do a dexterity roll to yeah. ro- roll out of the Every way. number is going to be a failure. His foot's the size of a building. Uh, good luck. <laughs> no, I thought I'd be like one of the scientists that's trying to like... Nah, nice squished oh, okay. guy. That's your name, kid. actually. I'm the little <laughs> kid that keeps... You're thinking Gamera. Gamera is the one that always has a little boy that he hangs out with. (laughs) In retrospect, it's weird. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'll be, uh, that'll be terrible. It'll be a terrible game we'll play. (laughs) I like it. We'll record it. It'll be good. Yeah. Andrew, how many times did you die? Every second. Because I think you can, they've got monster templates, so I could make you a large monster type. We could make this work. Justin's uh, Godzilla, and I play the city of Tokyo. Yeah, perfect. Uh, it's... And I throw buildings at him. And you roll to get smashed repeatedly <laughs> for 60 years. <laughs> uh, well, thank you all for listening. We do have a Facebook you can check out. It's facebook.com slash Barbarians. We have an Instagram at Barbarians, which I'm going to try to start posting pictures to it again and just pull out the games that I have and take pictures of those. I, I know that you mean like take nice photos yeah but i'm just imagining like a zoomed out shot of a boxed board game on your carpet where you just like yanked it down threw it on the ground i was i was it's a, just a video of me like exasperated opening the box like nah. so many components <laughs> what is that why is there so many batman no this is the um. shoe this is the car this is the park <laughs> avenue car and anyway i'll see you later <laughs> Uh, and of course, check us out on Discord. If you have any questions about D and D, Justin would love to talk to you, and so would I. Please, uh, oh my god! <laughs> there will be a link in the description for the show. Uh, go ahead and click on that. We, like I said, we do have a channel that's just specifically for tabletop RPGs. So if you have any questions um, or want suggestions, we are here. Um, but yeah, please, as always, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. It does help a lot. Go check out Board Game Barbarians there. And uh, let us know what you think of the show. And as always, Justin, remember what is best in life. Uh, Tabletop role-playing games? Tabletop role-playing games. Yeah, thanks for listening to Tabletop (laughs) Role-Playing Game Barbarians. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Good night.